Welcome to Talk With Me, listeners. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on lawrencehits.com. And Talk With Me is your chance to hear lots of different kinds of things, but most often they include the voices of artists who could be pretty much anywhere, anywhere that technology will connect us with. Um, often ones who will also have some performance coming up in the Midwest, but not even always that. Sometimes it's just the opportunity to get to know somebody who's far away. And today, this is kind of cool for me because it's like I could, I should put together the list of poet laureates who have been part of Talk With Me broadcasts. And, and uh, a sad shout out to, to Paul Ruffin, who was a Texas poet laureate who died a little over a year ago. It was a delightful person. Ah. Um, so Texas has been represented. Missouri has been represented. Several vintages of Kansas poets laureate. I'm forgetting somebody else. But the point is today, my guest is the poet laureate of Oklahoma. And this is really fun fun to get to meet her and then she'll be in the area soon which is very cool for people around the Lawrence and Kansas City area. My guest today is Janetta Calhoun-Mish. Welcome Janetta. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am so happy and and shout out to Denise Lowe, one of those former Poets Laureate of Kansas and wonderful poet and person. Um, and I have to mention her husband, Tom, because Tom is part of everything too, Tom Wiso and Mammoth Publications. But anyway, Denise is the one who said, hey, you guys should do a show together. And now it's happening. <laughs> yes, she's always doing wonderful things for other people in the writing community. Yeah, she's she's amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I get excited talking to her. I get excited reading her work, hearing her read her work. It's really great. And, and, and I'm very excited with the opportunity to talk to you, knowing that Denise said, yeah, this is something that should happen. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about you. I'm thinking even that maybe you're a little bit shy about that, because when I looked at your website, it didn't say Poet Laureate of Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, goodness. I guess I forgot to update it. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Um, I am very uh, deeply pleased to be Poet Laureate of Oklahoma. Um, people who know me call me their tour guide to Oklahoma. I'm a native Oklahoman. I grew up most uh, of my life uh, after three months in one small town called Wewoka, Oklahoma, in the southeast central part of the state. Um, I am an amateur historian of Oklahoma both Oklahoma history in general and Oklahoma literary history. So for me, I couldn't think of a, a, a better position. Wonderful. And in your, in your history of things, I, I like that when I, what I could pick up from your website included that you didn't take the traditional route and get an undergraduate degree and go through and get these other degrees. You know, you obviously have life and writing and lots of things in the mix. So, so what what are some of the kinds of things that that have been part of your life during um, those you know your life your life in Oklahoma travels you know whatever kinds of things just a little bit more. Yeah. I didn't um, go to a four year college until I was thirty seven years old. I think I had um, thirteen hours at four different junior colleges when I started uh, again in earnest as a single mom living in the projects. Um, so before that, I did all kinds of things. I worked as a bartender. I worked uh, in nursing homes and hospitals as aides and sometimes uh, laboratory aide. Um, I traveled all over because I needed to see some more of the world besides Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So no, I didn't take the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And then but I was always writing. I wrote my first poem in second grade oh. uh, when my dog died. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, but I was always writing, even though probably not as regularly because of the, you know, the hard work of doing uh, labor intensive jobs. Uh -huh. um, but and then when I went to university, I, I don't have a, I don't have writing degrees. I have a, degrees in literature. So okay. that's another little different change. But mm -hmm. Um, 
I was, I am still actually largely a self-taught poet. Um, I have had the opportunity in the last few years to study more deeply in poetics. And I think my work has improved from that. And also uh, I have a really great writing community and a lot of mentors who will read my work, um, including Denise uh, and the former Poet Laureate of Indiana, Norbert Kropp, and um, a friend of mine, Kat Meads, who's this astounding writer who has written and published in every genre imaginable. So the community has really helped improve my poetry because I can now have these long and interesting talks about poetics, you know, how does that metaphor work (laughs) kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And also I'm teaching in an MFA program. And as the saying goes, there's no better way to learn something than to try to teach it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting stuff. Yeah, because students always ask questions you're not quite ready for, which is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, learners in general, I imagine that you do that to other people as well, because, you know, what I hear from you, you know, as you talk about um, that you've you've always written, you obviously love literature, you've you've created this community of writing people to, to be involved with your work, and I'm sure yours with theirs, and my guess is that that you ask those those questions of other people just as your students do of you mm-hmm. as part of your learning and, and evolving your own writing and I and I love that and that is probably true um, there are assumptions when you go straight from a BFA to an MFA in creative writing embedded assumptions that I don't really know about so I'm always questioning them not just to be a problem but because I really don't know what those assumptions yeah. are or how they yeah. came to be and um, our program is a low residency program so it's uh, mostly non-traditional students and yes they ask those same kinds of questions uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that's that's great that's really great it's great for everybody and and what I what I hope that the writers, the experienced or not as experienced who are listening, get out of that is that it is about continuing to learn. You know, that's that's what we all need to do, and that's that's life too. You know, I, I I'm not a writer, but I relate to to a lot of what you're saying about asking questions and being asked questions, because I I for example I'm new on a on a um, called a leadership team for a for a the chapter of National Alliance on Mental Illness here in in my community. And we had a meeting last night and I had so many questions. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm really, you know, it's like I'm excited, I'm interested, I want to learn. And and this is how I do that. And I apologize for taking so much time because, yeah. you know, people say something and then I ask the five questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, um, that's a good thing. That's one reason I, I call myself a practicing poet. Uh-huh. I'm not a professional poet or just a uh-huh. poet. Um, I call myself a practicing poet when people ask because it's like uh, doctors are practicing physicians. Um, okay. And inside that phrase is never the presumption that we already know it all. So we learn through our practice and um, to our communities. So I'd rather be a practicing poet than. Uh, something less active. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And you you mentioned that you wrote your first poem in second grade. <laughs> and tell us about your sort of even knowing that poetry was a thing to do. <laughs> Had you been exposed to poetry already, you know, very much at the young age that we are in second grade? <laughs> it's all about my working class, didn't finish high school mother who read to me for as long as I can remember. Um, and she not only read to me, she actually talked about genre in her way. She would you know, read me, say, Heidi. And she said, well, you know, this is a story. It's a made up story. But um, and this is a poem. She point out poems. She loved poetry. She had many, much of it memorized from her years in school in the 50s, back when people were required to memorize poetry in school. Uh-huh. And she said, well, this is a poem, and this is kind of what poems do. Uh-huh. So it was my mother, and I still have her uh-huh. a little tiny, tattered copy of the 
penguin collected poems of Robert Frost that belonged to my mother. And she also did, uh, what, what did they call it? Allocution. You know, she would go to contests and do dramatic interpretation of poems that she'd memorized. And I actually have all her typewritten sheets from high school where she was preparing uh, to do that. And, you know, it's, uh, she loved Byron. Um, wow. There's Dickinson, though, which might have been unusual for her time and her place to have Dickinson on there. So it's all about my mother reading to me and the general sense in my family, uh, especially through the women, that reading was a per- perfectly natural thing to do. And it was also very good for you, even though I'm the first woman in my lineal line to graduate high school. Wow. They were all readers. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't imagine not being a reader. Yeah. So interesting that that your family who didn't have those educational opportunities, um, but reading was always so important. And that's that what a wonderful gift that they gave you. They did, you know. Even when my grandmother went blind and mostly blind in her later years from macular degeneration, um, I introduced her to the uh, books on tape from um, you know, the Oklahoma libraries um for people who were vision impaired. So it was a free service. They'd send them to her in the mail. And um, they had like a weekly limit, but they finally raised it for my grandmother because she was going through two or three books a week. Um, History, mostly. She loves history. (laughs) She loves history. She loves history and especially, you know, um, narrative histories, uh, things that are uh, written for a lay audience, but Uh deeply researched. So, yeah. Now we're all readers. <laughs> That's great. And and you said the women in your family. So mm-hmm. is that that you were closer to the women or that the men weren't readers as much as the women? Um, they were different kinds of readers. My grandpa devoured newspapers, uh, but I don't think he was much for reading books, partly because he was working all the time. Of course, my grandmother was too. But it was the women who said you need to read and you need to read a lot so you can go somewhere in this life or so you can uh, have a decent conversation. I, I actually explained some of it by the fact that of our Scots Irish culture, because you know, the Scots were always big readers and I think it was passed down through the family. My great great grandmother wrote poetry. So I know she was a reader as well. Oh, wow. Interesting. She actually had poetry published. Um, in wow. the 20s and 30s. Yes, in the Christian Science Monitor. She was uh, Christian Science, and she had a few poems published there, uh, which she wrote while she was doing all kinds of working class jobs. I've got like receipts and grocery lists and things of hers, uh, you uh-huh. know, on the other side on that little scrap of paper were pieces of poems <laughs> written in pencil, usually. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I come from a long line of writers, poets, musicians, uh, both the men and women in our family are for way, way back are musicians, songwriters and singers and instrumentalists. And uh, except for me, I don't have an instrument. I guess my instrument is poetry. That's beautiful. Really beautiful. Thank you. And you you mentioned Scotch, Irish ancestry. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking in you ended up, your family ended up in Oklahoma. <laughs> That's not unusual, actually. Okay. Um, the Scots-Irish are a huge uh, cultural group in Oklahoma. Um, come by way of the Southern diaspora from the Carolinas and down through Georgia and Mississippi and Arkansas in that way. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common migration, ethnic slash cultural migration story for the South. And they intermarried many of them with native tribes along the way. So Uh like many Oklahomans, I'm Scots, Irish, four different tribes, but not enrolled. Um, And I think there's a German back there somewhere, but that's about it. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) My, my unfortunate image of Oklahoma relates to the fact that I grew up in the Texas panhandle, which isn't the most beautiful part of the country. (laughs) No, no, and and the Oklahoma Panhandle looks much like that, but Oklahoma is <laughs> an extremely diverse state. Uh, yeah, <laughs> four or five different ecosystems meet at a point just east 
of Oklahoma City. So the part of Oklahoma I'm from has rolling hills and trees and Lovely. rivers and lakes. Um, but I also think that the panhandle, yes, even the Texas panhandle, has some certain kind of stark beauty if you're if you can see it. Yeah. And actually, I think that about any natural environment, that mm-hmm. there are different kinds of beauty. And that's an important reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, uh, my, my Texas panhandle is, is wrapped up in all kinds of things. And so it's like, it's not, <laughs> but, I, but I think about things because that since I've opened that, I'm, I'll, I'll cl- open it get in and then close it. I was uh, actually from Southern California. Mm. My mom and her second husband moved us to his hometown in uh, the Texas Panhandle. And it was a very stark contrast in every way to what life seemed like where we had lived to where we were. And so back to you. <laughs> a bit of culture shock then, yes? Yes. I was a little kid and it was like, what is this? What is this? Uh, my image, and I've said this before, but my image, as, as I remember it, maybe people would tell me I was wrong, but what I remember is my, my stepfather's father picking us up, I guess at the airport. I don't know. That would make sense and opening his car and there were grasshoppers inside the car. <laughs> and I've never seen such a thing of like, what, where, what is this? You know, it's like, this is a car. These are bugs. Why are they all over? Ew. <laughs> that could very likely be true. <laughs> but you know, sense of place is never just about the place. Right. It's about the emotions that we bring to it. It's about the emotions and the memories we gain when we're there. So that's all a sense of place. Uh I think the um, grasshopper story would make a great poem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Many nature poems of of, people that, you know, armadillos and, and all kinds of critters that Possums are another one I think are a favorite of several poets who I know. It's always delightful to to hear those as well. Yeah, possums are pretty fascinating. (laughs) We'll just move on from there. Yeah, Uh, I I think if you're you're willing, this would be a perfect time for us to hear some of your poetry. Okay, since we're speaking of sense of place. Okay. um, Much of my work is deeply embedded in Oklahoma and uh, and I'm expanding that to other places I've been and lived um, to try to practice better my sense of place. Um, this poem is from my second book, my first full collection, which is Work is Love Made Visible. It's called Sweet Home, Oklahoma. One, Canadian River Bottom, a ribbon of early morning light rests softly on a backbone ridge in the distance. My shoes are stained with red clay. The rain crow calls, and if I listen closely, I can hear inside his lonely voice a dim memory. I ask him to show me the way home. Two, we woke up. I remember being startled by seeing my brown face reflected in the dime store window, superimposed on packages of bed linen marked down for the white sale. Three, at the stomp dance grounds for Cynthia Johnson. We sit in the arbor on a cool, misty evening. A red flower dances in a shimmering water glass. The sun's glare has softened. Its rays round themselves on the horizon, reaching across the sky to illuminate the shiniest thread of a spider's web, suspended in time above the table. Beautiful. And and as you say about sense of places, there are images in there that that do relate to my memories of the Texas Panhandle. <laughs> But in the best of ways. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I guess before I read, I should have uh, given a couple of footnotes here. Weewoka is the name of my hometown. Uh-huh. It means barking water because there were rapids in the creek. Uh, 
there was a film a couple of years ago called Barking Water by um, a, a filmmaker who grew up six miles from me uh, named Sterling Harjo, a Native American filmmaker. Um, and Rain Crow is what we call the is it yellow-billed cuckoo who makes a particular sound. And uh, in our vernacular stories, we call him the rain crow because that one particular special sound he makes means it's going to rain. Yeah. So I um, use of vernacular words um, that have deeper meanings that have meanings embedded into the culture and the place from which they arrive is really important to me. I like uh -huh. to use them. Uh -huh. And so do you, well, as poet laureate, I'm sure that you'll you will have a lot of public appearances. And before this year, this time of being poet laureate, did you often do performances where you would have the opportunity to give some background to some of those those words that some people might not have any reason to to know the the real depth of meaning? Yes, I've been performing my work since. Oh, even before I was really a published poet in my late 20s. Um, and I almost always do give those footnotes. Uh, so I apologize to your audience for not doing it ahead of time. <laughs> but um, I really, a lot of times I'm actually having to now teach Oklahomans about their own culture mm -hmm. because some of it's been lost um, and some of it may needed to have been lost. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I think people in places that are poorly understood or not understood at all and just covered over with stereotypes like my home state is that sometimes we forget to value the good things in our culture and in our vernacular language. So I'm on a mission to revalue those things. Yeah. I think that's important globally. And when I say globally, I don't just mean about the world. But, it, but in our lives about ourselves, you know, there it's it's something that we all need to be open to experiencing and recognizing and valuing the highlights, even in the times that feel really rocky, you know, that there are things that are beautiful about every day. And I'm not saying all seconds and minutes and hours of every 24 hours but when we lose the ability to recognize some of that beauty each day we get into a dangerous position yes i think so and um i do want to clarify although you sort of spoke to it a few minutes ago that i'm not talking about romanticizing my home state in a way that ignores um things that need to be critiqued uh, because I do that also in my work. <laughs> um, but I do mean that there are things I think we lose when we lose a particular kind of vernacular culture and vernacular yeah. language. Yeah. This gives me the perfect opportunity to mention um, there is this national movement and you, you, as you, Janetta, anybody listening, wherever you are, could become part of this thing that's called the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. And it's a people's movement. It's not a governmental thing. And it really is about elevating culture um, in the sense of bringing that to people's attention, restoring the value, the, the, the admiration and appreciation of the, you know, whatever number, you know, all these different types of culture that influence every place and every person, that that not be lost for the convenience of bigness and quickness, you know, and and it's this this wonderful thing to to remind people that when you value culture, you also bring every person up in, in valuing them as well, you know? When you, Janetta, talk about your family and somebody could go, well, gosh, you know, she's the only one who ever graduated even from high school, what's up with that? Or somebody can go, 
imagine this family that so valued reading and learning and passing this love and on to the generation after generation. How wonderful and fabulous and amazing that is, you know? We, we have that opportunity to really pay attention to things and and be proud of them and and tell people how cool it is and thank them for sharing that and you know there's there's so much richness that we don't want it to be overlooked and you know the the USDAC activities are always about bringing people's voices up and and everybody belonging and and culture you know i think about I think for like for me denise and i had a denise Lowe and i had a conversation one time after she shared a poem about her grandfather a native grandfather and and i was really touched by the poem and i said it sounds to me just like my maternal grandfather mm. who was a russian immigrant but the characteristics of her her grandfather and my grandfather you know like there were so many things in common and that was a really Cool connection for me that, you know, for both of them, their culture, their heritage, their experiences brought them to make certain choices about their kind of communication. Um, and it it wasn't that they came from the same experiences, but but there were these things and they were valuable and beautiful and, and sometimes challenging, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I love being able to to experience that with people and and recognize the the goodness of things not 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 being blind you know like you're saying not being ignorant or, or overlooking the stuff that needs improving but but not overlooking the wonderful stuff too yeah i think that's when poetry is really working yeah. that we recognize the humanity and a totally different experience from the ones we've had and yet still there's some common ground that's been built there yeah yeah and i noticed you know, when we were, before we got on the show, I said, you know, well, I'm not the most prepared, but I'm very interested. And I noticed that when I was, when I was looking at information about you, that a couple of things related to, to me, to culture, in addition to your family in Oklahoma, is, is women and, and women's work, and also um, being part of Native writers as, as a group. And I wonder with either of those, if you would, would tell us a little bit about that connection for you. Um, as far as the women writers go, you know, as I said, I learned to read and write through my mother. Um, I both read and wrote before I went to kindergarten because mm-hmm. she encouraged that. Wow. Uh, my grandmother was also amazing what my, uh, my, my husband likes to call a flinty prairie woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had fantastically strong women in my family. My great-grandmother, uh, the one whose mother wrote poems, they were all smart and capable. And, of course, they were almost always the ones who held the family together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how I could not write about women's issues because that's the uh, family tradition I came down in. It's because we took care of each other. We took care of everyone, but also the women had their own cultural interchange. It usually happened when the women, like Christmas and Thanksgiving, after the big meals and all the women were in the kitchen doing dishes, that's Mm -hmm. when they had their time to themselves and all kinds of stories flew in there. And if you were a curious little budding writer girl like me you made sure you dried dishes or put them away so you could hear all those stories Ah. and a lot of them were stories meant to say here's what you do if you're in this situation and even if you're limited as a woman in what you can do here's how you can get around that kind of stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's where the women thing came from i am as i mentioned earlier uh descended of several tribes which is not uncommon in Oklahoma I am not enrolled in any tribal nation uh, I grew up in Wewoka, Oklahoma which is the cap- capital of the Oklahoma Seminole Nation many of my friends are native people and um, I find it really difficult for anyone who grew up in Oklahoma not to always consider 
the native people from there simply because they're our culture is saturated with native things. All the street names, the main street names in my hometown were all Muscogee, uh, Seminole language names. Like I grew up on Ochisi, and then there's Okmogi and Okfuski. All of those words uh, into become part of our language. So my uh, work with native peoples and my recognition as a detribalized mixed blood, but one who is an ally, um, all comes from the fact that that's a huge cultural influence on me or the native peoples of where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. I do some volunteer work. So for native, uh, native things, there's actually going to be a huge uh, Native Writers Festival in October at the University of Oklahoma called Returning the Gift. Uh, so if people would like to hear more about that, they can um, go to Facebook and look up Returning the Gift, or they can also Google Returning the Gift for our website. It's going to be quite an amazing four days. That's something that Denise and I have been working on together. We're, we're both helping with that. So. Lovely. And it makes me think um, of somebody, a friend, Lori Tapahanso, who was here in Lawrence and is not, but her mom, Lucy Tapahanso, um, is a noted poet as well. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I bet they'll be there. And just, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Lucy's coming. I, I yeah, pretty. She was at the first one. This is the 25th wow. anniversary of when the wow. very first Native Writers Conference that ever happened at OU 25 years ago. So this is our 25th anniversary. That's exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, we're having a Poets Laureate panel uh, oh, at Returning cool. the Gift. I, I think Lucy's on that because I'm pretty sure she was Poet Laureate of Arizona for a while i think i could be wrong tribe. i don't know because that's because i was trying to remember um because because uh in, in my in my exploration of poetry um i jumped into hosting a poetry event in may of 2014 and Lori was part of Lori and rhonda miller um the three of us were the, were the main organizers of this thing and unfortunate timing related to Lucy's other commitments meant, although she was originally going to read at this, she couldn't come. And so mm-hmm. anyway, um, so I, at that time, at least I think she was poet laureate of her tribe. Cool connections. That's, that's real life. And I love that. And, and I get excited thinking about, you know, for me, I'm really touched by you bringing your maternal lineage up as you know, these are these are inspirations. This is wonderful that there's this family connection that I had this great great you know grandmother who was a published poet and 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 it's been something important to my mom and important to me and that's beautiful. Very good. See, we're so not so much unlike each other, are we? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, we should probably take a break now because we're going to have to do it at some point. We're going to hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And I get to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show. And when we come back, I want to make sure right at the get-go, let's mention things that you're going to be doing in our area, Lawrence, Kansas City, or Lawrence and Blue Springs, which is to me, Kansas City area, um, coming up really soon. So we'll be right back with more Talk With Me. So listeners, welcome back to this Talk With Me with my guest today, Janetta Calhoun-Mish, who is currently the Poet Laureate of Oklahoma and is going to be in the Lawrence area as well. I want to say Lawrence area, we'll lump Blue Springs, Missouri into Lawrence area. Hey, coming up, um, if you're hearing this, this show soon after it was recorded, coming up the week that includes Thursday, July 27th. So Janetta, what would you like us to know about these wonderful things that you're doing here? I'm really excited about reading at the Raven. I've never been there, but you know, it's a legendary bookstore and I'm going to be reading with some great people. Let's see, on Saturday, that's the meeting with the Kansas Authors Club. And in the middle, I'm sorry, all of a sudden I lost where I'm going to be in the middle. 
You're going to be in Blue Springs, Missouri. At Inklings. Yeah. Fun stuff going on there, too. So is that one um, Inklings Books and Coffee Shop in yeah. Blue Springs, Missouri? Free open reading. Cool. And that's Friday night, July 28th, starting at 7. Yes. My so. apologies to Inklings for losing it there for a minute. <laughs> It happens even to writers. Sometimes words escape us. I want to. I want to highlight both the Kansas Authors Club and the Raven Bookstore. So Kansas Authors Club is one of these things that people can get involved with. Rhonda Miller is one of the officers for the state, as well as our the local. Um, I can't remember how their chapters or they have regional groups. And she is a wonderful person and poet. And Kansas Authors Club does these cool things with these meetings and, and bringing kids in with poetry contests, writing contests of different kinds, an annual conference, really good stuff. And the meetings are actually open. So for people to know, maybe an easy way is by going to the Kansas Authors Club website. Maybe it's by Facebook. But Janetta will be there for this workshop. And I'm going to ask you, Janetta, to, to say the word of the type of poetry, because I'm looking at it, how it's written, but I don't know how it's said. It's usually said hustle. Okay. Writing it starts puzzles. with a G. So I'm Looks, really like glad gazal. Looks like gazal. Looks <laughs> like but usually it's said hustle. And okay. I only know that because I have to look it up like every three months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that one is called Writing Hustles plus a reading by you, the mm -hmm. Oklahoma Poet Laureate. And that one is Saturday, July 29th at 11.30 at a restaurant called the Oriental Bistro on 23rd Street in Lawrence, Kansas. That's right. So that's that's going to be a cool thing to learn, practice, and get a chance to hear readings from Janetta. And at the Raven Bookstore, the Raven Bookstore has a tradition of a monthly, what they call Big Tent, where they bring in special featured readers. And these special featured readers for Thursday, July 27th, include Jason Baltazar, Janetta Calhoun-Mish, and Alexis Renee Smith. So it'll be a variety of genres and styles overall with these three writers, including Janetta coming to us from Oklahoma to be part of this. And the Raven Bookstore is this wonderful tradition in Lawrence, Kansas, that was started by two women, Pat Katie and Mary Lou Wright, as a mystery and local writers kind of specialty store. And then some of the mix of some great kids books and some some basic things and always being willing to, to order things. Um, so, you know, I always say support your local writers, small presses, independent booksellers before you buy at the big A store online. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And, and the Raven Bookstore, this will be the last of the big tent under the current owner, the delightful Heidi Rock. And, and the way I think of Raven is, is it's like any historic, and to me it is an historic thing that this independent bookstore has continued its tradition in spite of trends related to big, big bookstores and online booksellers. The, the caretaking that Mary Lou and Pat did was handed off to Heidi, and Heidi is handing it off to one of her employees, Danny Kane, who is a wonderful person poet and recent MFA grad. And so the timing is perfect for him to take the keys of the building from Heidi and continue in his special ways, the Raven Bookstore. So I really urge people to come on Thursday, July 27th and appreciate these readers and the Raven store and wish Heidi the best in her next life chapters. Cool, cool things. Raven is continuing. There will be readings. There will be books. There will be local art. There'll be all this good stuff. And and how special that Janetta is one of the readers and mm -hmm. a dear friend of Denise Lowe, who is a Lawrence resident and former Kansas Poet Laureate. Um, so this is coming together with, with Janetta being part of this 
this very special reading at, again, Thursday, July 27th, 7 o'clock, free of charge at the Raven Bookstore. So my encouragement to listeners who are in this area is be there, be there, be there. You will be so pleased in so many ways. I'm looking yes. forward to it. Yes. Did you say earlier when we opened, you just started volunteering for the National uh, Association of Mental Illness? NAMI? I, that- I was for the for the local chapter. I was asked to be on their leadership team. Okay, and great. So, yeah, so I had my first leadership team with them the the night before you and I are recording. Yeah. So in honor of that group and the amazing things they do, I'd like to read you a poem from my new book called What I Learned at the War um, that I don't get a chance to read very often. I will say it is a list poem, and I will say there are quotes from other voices in here, and I will try to slow down in a certain way so you can hear what the other voice is saying and what I'm saying. Do you mind? Sounds beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you. It's called A Short Glossary of Useful Acronyms, AEDs, anti-epileptic drugs used as mood stabilizers for bipolar disorder. Not to be confused with IEDs, although they have a similar effect on the brain. Example, Depakote. BAD, bipolar affective disorder, the diagnosis you get instead of PTSD when your MMPI has a large number of F-scale items endorsed, and therefore the profile's validity is questionable. This means they think you're lying about or at the very least exaggerating the abuse and the violence. However, lying is not a word you will hear come out of your therapist's mouth. She might say, however, that your MMPI suggests you are malingering or pleading for help. BPD, Borderline Personality Disorder, another diagnosis you get when they think you're lying about the abuse and the violence, especially when your personality assessment inventory indicates you have little regard for bourgeois social standards and values, and that you are cynical about human nature and suspicious of other people's motives. Cynicism and suspicion of others' motives, no matter how well-founded, is pathological. Keep this in mind when seeking help. FGAs, first-generation antipsychotics like Haldol, they will mess you up and not in a good way. MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, a test often used in combination with the personality assessment inventory, the clinical analysis questionnaire, and the incomplete sentence blank. Despite designers' claims, it can be manipulated by certain intellectually adept patients to help their therapists feel like they've done their job. PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder, a common malady of working class and poor women and children, can be repurposed as a mnemonic for emotional and drug rehab. Put that down. SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, a class of antidepressants, Zoloft, Paxil, Prozac, infamous for causing agitation and aggression, while at the same time relieving depression just enough that patients find the energy to commit suicide. Little depressing. Well, now it's important to me, you know, it's, this is my, my life work is in mental health, specifically suicide prevention and bereavement support with a side trip into uh, being a strong ally for the queer community and, and support with trans folks and others. But but we need to talk about these things. We need to challenge these things. And, and I'm wondering if you are willing to just tell us a little bit about your motivation in this particular poem to, to mm-hmm. put this out into the world. Um, the first motivation is that this is the first, t- first book of poems that I've talked about these things openly, and um, it was time. Um, I was misdiagnosed for years uh, as bipolar. 
And I know that poem's a little hard on therapists, but uh, part of the problem for me was, and part of the problem for many people who need mental health care in this country today is that I had no insurance. And so uh, I could only go to a therapist as long as I could pay. And oftentimes uh, those therapists or counselors were overworked because they ran worked in sliding fee scale clinics, you know, I could pay $5 and go to see someone, but they were overworked and uh, I got moved from, you know, therapist to therapist. And then sometimes I'd just quit altogether and then try again later. Um, so even though the poem itself is kind of, is a little bit harsh on some of the therapists, um, I'm not sure it was entirely their fault. I think they're a lot like teachers today, people who work in public a mental health care settings that they're overwhelmed and underpaid. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's why there's several poems in this book uh, about those things. And once I did get insurance, which was through marriage, um, I and I'm grateful for that. Um, I was able to see somebody longer term and receive the diagnosis of PTSD, which I figured was true all the all that time because I grew up um, in some really violent situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much better now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your personal story. In addition to that poem that m- I think my guess and probably other listeners guess is that it relates to personal experience. And, and although you s- sort of apologize about if it seems like an attack on, on therapists, or um, you know where 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 I come from, my my belief system is that not enough people who are mental health workers, um, faith leaders, all these people who are supposed to be the ones who know how to help us when we're in emotional crisis, not enough of them really make the commitment to learn and remind themselves, as you reminded us, that we are practicing a profession. You are a practicing poet. I am a practicing social worker. And practicing means a commitment to learn and mm. to grow. And I, I know, I, I really value what you have put into that poem. And I would really like, well, I will be buying a copy of that book to have that <laughs> poem to share with people because it's so important that we speak up that too many people, when they have finally been able to seek some kind of support, have ended up, whether they could pay a lot or pay nothing, they've ended up with people who weren't caring and skilled. And it takes both of those to, to, to be on that journey with somebody for recovering from whatever challenges they have, you know? Yes. And so, so we need to be able to look at ourselves in terms of those who, who are supposed to be the helpers. We need to be able to look, we need to be able to, challenge people who use language casually when they say to somebody, you know, oh, you're so OCD (laughs) and they don't know even what they're saying because that is a diagnosis that to me, the simple way of understanding it is that we have very strong beliefs that make us do certain behaviors but those beliefs aren't actually based in truth. And mm-hmm. so if I believe that when I cross through this doorway, that if I don't do it correctly, that a dear one will die, then I need to do this thing of how I touch the doorknob and how many steps and walking back and forth, things that may look really odd to somebody, but I'm doing it for in my thought of safety for somebody, you know, yes. so we, we need to understand, we need to be compassionate. You, you mentioned a label in, in that poem, the label of borderline personality disorder. And, and, you know, people see that as a pejorative. I, I had a cousin who 
said it was the worst thing from her perspective that happened to her was when her therapist told her that was her diagnosis. And I thought, wow, why does a health condition, which may or may not be accurate, but that's a different su- you know, subject, why would any health condition just having it be named be that devastating? That's not the way it should work. We've got a lot of improvement to do. And, and, and your poem ends with that suicide risk. And we're at a time where we're hearing so frequently about neighbors, about celebrities, about people in the nearby community who have died by suicide. And I'm not blaming anybody that that happens, but I'm also challenging us all to show more kindness, to be more aware, to to ask for help when we need it, to offer help when we see somebody, even somebody we don't know well, who seems to need it, you know, that that's so important. So I'm really, really touched by this poem. I had no idea this might be something that was part of who you are as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm but isn't that interesting that, yes. you know, it's part of so many of us by yes. percentage, right? Yes. Yes. And yet if we don't uh, speak to that, then people assume that there isn't any uh, yeah. mental illness or depression or yeah. other kinds of emotional and mental struggles going on. And yeah. I think that's part of the problem. Everybody assumes the other person doesn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> and so the way that plays out is when I'm the one who has it, then I think there's something really wrong with me. I'm very alone. I'm very undeserving, unworthy because everybody else is okay, but I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that part. And for people who don't have direct experience of some kind of mental health challenge, then they aren't necessarily going to show the empathy and compassion that people need when it's there, you know, people are experiencing this. So, wow. And, and this, you know, the, my, my, my main sort of description of my work with this radio show is that it's at the intersection of art and mental health. And, and I said that because so many people who I talked to who were artists um, would talking about what they do, there would be this phrase that would pop out, which was, this saved my life. Uh, poetry saved my life for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm going to plant a seed. I do something here in Lawrence, Kansas every year called Words Save Lives mm-hmm. on World Suicide Prevention Day, September 10th. And my hope is always that such an event happens in lots of places because what it is, is we we now it's it started with poetry only, and then it's poetry and stories and comedy and music and drag performances. And it's this idea of something for everybody. And it's about connection. It's not about lectures on suicide prevention, but it's always on World Suicide Prevention Day, which is September 10th. Um, that's a beautiful thing so, to do. Yeah. So if it happens someplace in Oklahoma, thanks to Janetta, that'd be cool. <laughs> There's no telling that somebody may be doing it already. <laughs> I'll have to check on that. Yeah, and to, to be able to, to share those kinds of poems as well. Mm-hmm. There's such a gift when people share their personal experiences of any kind, you know, through their art, through their poetry, other kinds of art. And when it's specifically about those things that are hard things that people don't necessarily talk about, mm-hmm. it's a huge gift to those people in the audience to be able to see this person. And to me, I always want to remember to say thank you. So thank you, Janetta, again, You're for welcome. sharing your stories. Well, yes. if you come to the Raven, um, I've been doing a lot of readings in public schools. Uh-huh. So there are several poems in this book I haven't read aloud, uh, that being one of them. Um, uh-huh. I mean, it probably would be good in public schools because so many kids suffer from depression. But, um, you know, as an outsider, it's a problem. Um, So if you come to the Raven, you may get to hear more of the more of the poems that have to do with my struggle with mental illness from, I don't know, I think the first time I was depressed, I was probably four. (laughs) So, Yeah. um, Yeah. So there's and, you know, cultural issues of, you know, 
abuse and those kinds of things that go hand in hand with mental illness. So yeah, that's not the only one. (laughs) Of course not. And at the Raven, obviously there will be some of your books for sale. And I want to ask specifically, will what I learned at the war be one of those books? It should be. It's my newest book. Okay. And um, from uh, West End Press, and it's distributed by University of New Mexico Press, who also did my previous book, West End Distribution by UNM, uh, Work is Love Made Visible. My first book was a chat book that won a National Women's Chat Book Award, and it's been out of print for a very long time. Uh, but you can find it on issue.com as a virtual book okay. for free. And which, which title is that? Tongue-Tied Woman. Okay. All right. Well, this is this is really heartwarming to me to, you know, it's like, gosh, Denise said we should do a show and I expected beautiful poetry, but I didn't also know the commonalities that we would be talking about. Yeah. From great grandmas to mental illness issues. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is real life. This is wonderful. We are in the last about five minutes of this show. So I would like to ask you if there is another poem that you would like to make sure our listeners get to hear as we tempt them to come to either Blue Springs or Lawrence, Kansas to hear you read on Thursday or Friday, July 27th. I um, actually think I want to read this poem called When Dreams Die. Excuse me, I had to get a drink of water. When dreams die, it's a golden shovel, which is a particular kind of form, after a poem entitled Truth that was written by Gwendolyn Brooks. And um, I wrote this poem in response to all the difficult and horrific things that have happened in the last five years culturally in this country. When dreams die. One gray morning, the gasping of what will wake us from secondhand sleep? If will soon follow, claiming the conjugal we of their syntactically inseparable wake. Upon demise of what? If sits keening by one brassed pine box, chasing soul shimmering transcendence, the dawn of inward morning. Conditionals and suppositions serve supper to our bereft, unsayable dreams. Listen, hear humming of hymns, wailing of women, the banal benediction in futures falsetto, fierce fists beating breasts, the final hammering. Excuse me. Um. Gwendolyn's Gwendolyn Brooks' amazing use of sonics, sound, and poem obviously influenced that. <laughs> ah. Gwendolyn Brooks has, to me, a, a prominence here in Lawrence, Kansas, with a mural that has been in our downtown, that had been in our downtown area, um, called The Pollinators, that was about the some the pollination in the sense of not just bees and, and flowers, but also African-Americans who were prominent in the arts, African-Americans who lived um, at least part of their lives in Kansas. And the Gwendolyn Brooks poem line with, you know, we are each other's harvest, we are each other's magnitude business, we are each other's magnitude and bond, that those words mean so much to me about community and the importance of all of us paying attention and knowing that we are all affected by what happens with our neighbors. We need to do what we can to, to, to share goodness and kindness with everybody. You know, we are each other's business in that yeah. kind of a way. So I, I love that Gwendolyn influenced your poem there because mm-hmm. that, that means a lot, that her work means a lot to me too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just real quickly, uh, Golden Shovel uses a line from Gwendolyn Books and uses each word for the last word of a line. And this is her quote. What if we wake one shimmering morning to hear the fierce hammering? That was the line I used of Gwendolyn's. Beautiful. Well, 
people, you need to go to the Raven Bookstore on Thursday the 27th. If you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area, be there. It's going to be a very special reading. Or if you can't make it there, Friday the 28th of July at Inklings Bookstore in Blue Springs, Missouri. If somehow you can't make it to either, go to Janata's website, find her books, buy them as close to from her as you can. Mm -hmm. So I always say, go to the reading, buy the book, get it signed there. How cool is that? When you've heard some of these poems read by this person, and then you get to take them home and savor those pages, you know? Yes. Um, if, you, if you can't buy them from a reading with the author, then check out your Lawrence, excuse me, your local, wherever you are, independent bookseller and see if they'll order it for me for you because they usually will. And it's a great deal for everybody. Do it, do it, do it. Janetta, <laughs> thank you so much. I so look forward. I'm going to hope that nothing interferes. Sometimes things happen, but my plan is to meet you on Thursday, July 27th at the Raven bookstore. Great. I look forward to giving you a hug in person. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank and, you, Marcia. And so long to our listeners. It's been a great show. Listen, listen some more. It's great. So long.